Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I am the pastor, and uh, we are in a series, in a series called God is God, Everything Else is an Illustration. And what we're doing is we're looking at the stories in Genesis to see how God is introduced to us in the Bible so that we can understand how to have a relationship with someone that's God, because that's not always easy. Um, last week, we began looking at the meaning of the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath. Um, we saw that the Sabbath isn't just this command that comes, this direction that's designed to, to, to aim our lives, but that the Sabbath reveals something about who God is and what God's like. Um, we saw that the Sabbath um, shows that God is a God of rest, okay? That God, there, that God wants you to work and to rest, that the God of the Bible is a God who says there's a time for work, for hard work, but there's also a time for rest. And so the Bible begins with God teaching us what he thinks about time and work and rest. And so we see God working for six days and then resting on the seventh day. We looked at that last, last week. And today we're going to look more at the artistry of Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 2 verse 3 because it's a, a literary unit. Okay, and so in your bulletin, as you, if you want to grab that, I, I'm trying to present this. It's up on the slide. I'm trying to show you the text in a way that highlights some of the literary structure of this passage. Now, I pulled out some of the verses that are kind of repetitious um, so that all the verses would fit on this one page in the bulletin. Um, there's not a whole lot of space there to take notes. I apologize for that um, because some of the things that we're going to talk about today are things you're going to want to write down. Um, but you're going to have to find room in between the space, I don't know, between day one and two, between days three and seven. There's space in there. You can figure it out. Um, but, and some of the point of today is that I want you to enjoy the beauty of this passage. I want you to see how passages in the Bible are written. I want you to see some of the literary art that is in some of the Bible. Uh, but also the structure of the passage serves to highlight the message and the application of the passage. And so, um, so I'm going to point out some things and then we're going to dive into what it means. Um, first of all, and this might be obvious uh, just from even a cursory understanding, days one and six are different from day seven. Okay, makes sense, right? Because God worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh day. And days one through six, they're like stanzas of a poem or verses in a song. Um, and, and you need to know that this is written as Hebrew poetry. Okay, this isn't prose. It's not written like a newspaper article. Uh, it's poetry. And in this, there's organization, there's repetition, and there's progression that even comes through in translation. Um, so days one through six each begin with a phrase. They begin with, and God said. You see that in verse 3, verse 6, and God said. You see verse 9, and God said. And then in verse 11, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. And verse 20, and God said. Verse 24, and God said. Verse 26, then God said. And so each day begins with this phrase. And then you'll also see if you, if you slow down and read the whole thing, that six times in these six days, God saw that what he made was good. And then all six days end with a refrain. So it's like a chorus. Um, so like a song that has a chorus in between all the verses. In verse five, you see it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
you look at verse 8, it says, and there was, uh, and there was evening and there was morning. Or, uh, morning, yeah, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 13, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. It goes all the way through days one through six. You see there's organization, there's repetition, and there's progression. And also days one through six have a further pattern. There's something else that I want you to see here, that the six days break up into two sets of three days, okay? Days one to three parallel days four through six. And I show this in the bulletin by showing you sort of the arrows uh, between days one and four, days two and five, days three and six. Um, They show the correspondence between these sets of days. In days one to three, you see three realms that are made by God. You see the sky on day one, the sea on day two, and the earth is made on day three. And then in days four through six, you see these three realms are filled by God. And so on day four, you have the sun, the moon, and the stars fill the sky that was made on day one. So days one and four are connected. On day five, you see the fish fill the sea that was made on day two. So days two and five are connected. And then on day six, animals and people fill the day or fill the earth that was made on day three. So days three and six are also connected. Um, further, on, if you look at verse four, it says that God made the light. He saw the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. That's in verse four. That's on day one. But then on day four in verse, uh, verse 18 It says that God made the two great lights, the sun and the moon, and he made the stars, verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And so again, days one and four are connected in the same way days two and five, days three and six are connected. And so this is just a little bit, we're just scratching the surface of some of the literary art, some of the poetic elements of this presentation of God's creative work. Um, Now, A few weeks ago, we saw the beauty in what God has made. We looked at the things that God has made, the variety, the color, the texture, the the amazingness of God's creation. Now, we're also seeing the beauty in how God inspired it to be described. So it's not just that God is a creative God who makes beauty and makes unbelievable things, but God also cares about the way in which his work is presented to us. Okay, and so the same God who was creative in the making of all things was also creative in inspiring the description of his creation. Okay, so God appreciates, God cares about art. He cares about poetry. He cares about aesthetics. God cares about refrain, repetition, and progression because God inspired here a poem to describe his artistic work of creation. And and the ultimate climax of this week is on day seven where God rests. God was finished with the work of creation and he rests and his rest is the rest of completion. It says in chapter two, it says that God rested because his work is finished. Verse three of chapter two says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so this is why creation is presented to us as a week of work. 
Right? You ever wonder that? Like, why does God present it this way? Well, it's because he wants us to follow his pattern. God has purpose in describing and having creation be described in the form of a week. It's so that we would follow his pattern. That we're also supposed to work for six days and rest. God worked six days, entered into his rest. And so God gives us a day every single week where we can relax, a day where we can play, a day that we can connect with God and remember his presence in our lives and his purpose for our lives. Now, from the beginning, this day was celebrated on the seventh day of the week, but for the followers of Jesus, after Jesus came, his followers shifted the day that they celebrated from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week because they were honoring the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that a little bit last week. If you have questions about that, ask me. I'm in dialogue with uh, one person who's going a little deeper on this and wants more information. I'd be happy to give you more information if you have questions about this. Um, so, but the point here is that God resting is a gift to us. It's, it's a divine excuse. It's an excuse for you to take a day off, to relax, to play with family and friends, and to remember God and our relationship with him. It's very, very simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy to take a day off, is it? And so we are all, as we try to embrace this, as we try to step into this and move our lives to orient our time the way that God's designed us, um, we need to learn how to say this to others. Look, I'm thrilled that you're gonna do whatever you, do whatever you wanna do, but I need a day to pray, to play, and to rest. So you don't have to worry about anybody else. <laughs> Just worry about yourself, right? Like, look, this is for me. Like, you do what you wanna do. Society does what it wants to do. Culture does what it wants to do. It doesn't matter. Like, I need a day to pray, to play, and to rest. And we're gonna dive into some of the specifics at the end of this message. But so there's one other thing that I want you to notice in this passage. Um, I mentioned that there's this refrain, there's a chorus um, before in this chapter, but there's something else that I want you to see about it. Let's look again at this list in Genesis 1, verse 5. It says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 8, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So if you're telling this story and you have any kind of child around you, by the time you get to day three, the children will join in, right? The minute you say, and there was evening, they're going to jump in and be like, and there was morning the third day, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. Like the kids would jump in, and that's kind of the point. Like all these stories were meant to be heard. All these stories are meant to be read out loud or shared orally, and so there's a rhythm to it. There's, again, this, this repetition invites participation. Um, and so you have the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. But then, then we come to chapter 2, verse 3, and we find this. It says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And that's how the section ends. The refrain is gone. And if you are following along, 
the absence of the refrain is striking. I mean, the kids are expecting it. They're expecting you to say, and there was evening, and there was morning, the seventh day, but it doesn't come, right? The savvy adults, those who are tied into literary structure and patterns and recognition, you know, they're like, wait, wait, hold on, what's happening here? I mean, the silence of this refrain is deafening. It certainly means something, but what? What does it mean? Well, I'll tell you, it means this. It means that God's rest never ends. It means the seventh day is not a solar day. The seventh day never ends. The seventh day for God does not end. The sun does not go down on God's rest. And so God's work is finished and God rests. And then God gives the Sabbath to us as a gift. And what the Sabbath is designed to do the purpose of the Sabbath, it's a teaching tool, and it's one of these teaching tools that doesn't just strike your head and say, oh, okay, you're supposed to work six days and you're supposed to take a day off. It doesn't just strike your heart, right? Because all of us long for the chance to be able to rest, right? We all have this part of us that was like, that just wants to go, <sighs> Right? And it's, it's, so it hits our, our heads, it hits our hearts, it also hits our hands, right? Because it's literally calling us to do something different on this day. And so God, in his masterful teaching, hits us in our heads, our hearts, and our hands, and he's saying, he's saying to us, this, this creation week and again, whether the week is a literal seven, 24 hours a day, or it's this poetic analogy depicting what God did, either way, it has this meaning. It's saying God is, has entered into his rest, and his rest is eternal and forever. And the Sabbath is you getting an opportunity every week to step into the pool where God is resting. You get an opportunity to enter into God's eternal rest. And so, God's rest never ends. A little bit more practically, what this means is that time is going somewhere. Okay, time is going somewhere. What do I mean by that? Well, let me say it this way. All of time is heading toward God and his Sabbath rest. Okay, this is a theology of time. This is the way that God wants you to think about time, that everything, that all of history, that all of time is heading toward God and his eternal Sabbath rest. So God rested on the seventh day and his rest has never ended. All of time is heading to that eternal rest. We're aiming in that direction. We are bending in that direction. And so what this means is that life isn't a meaningless, never-ending cycle of mornings and evenings. When the Bible was written, just like today, there were all kinds of other views about time. There were other views where people thought about where time came from. So many people thought that the world just always existed. 
that it always existed, that it's been here forever. And so because of that, time was this unending and repeating forever. So literally going around in circles, no beginning, no end, and therefore no real purpose. And so in the non-biblical view, time is a circle that goes around and 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 around. If somebody doesn't come and hit me, I'm just gonna keep going. Around and around and around. I mean, this is what people think. And in this view, time is never ending meaninglessness. There's a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the author wrestles with this reality. It says, man, sometimes life feels exactly like this. And so it addresses that subject. The idea here is that, that time was going on forever before you got here. It will continue to go on forever after you're gone. You're gone. What you do doesn't really matter. And I would say this isn't just an ancient thought, but today there are so many people who think this, and there's frankly a lot of people who might not say that they think this, but they live as though this is true. They live as though this is reality. But friends, this is not the message of God or the Bible. Genesis teaches us that time is not a circle, but time is a wheel. Time is a wheel. Yes, there are cycles to it, but time is a wheel that is traveling. So time is a wheel. It's moving in a direction and it's heading toward God and his eternal Sabbath rest. And so Genesis 1 says that there was in fact a beginning of creation. There was a beginning of time. Genesis 2 says that this time is actually going somewhere, that there is a direction, that God has a purpose, and that life does, in fact, matter. And so what this means is that history is heading toward the face of God. It's heading toward the face of God. And so this also means, it's not just talking about history, but this means that your life is heading toward the moment when you stand face to face with God. And so from the beginning, with every single week, God made one day special so that you would know and remember that time is heading toward him. Every week, God is telling you that your life matters, that you're on a wheel and even though some things just feel like they go on and on and on and on and on, you are heading in his direction. And so consider the future. Every week, God is actually inviting you into his future where he is resting. And so for now, it's, it's, in this life, it's 24 hours. But in the future, there is a rest that will last forever. That as God, there is no end to God's rest. There's no end to the rest that God is inviting us to enter into. And so every single week, God wants you to take a day off of normal life 
and remember that time is heading toward him. That all of time and your life is heading toward God and God is inviting us to enter into his eternal Sabbath rest. It's a chance for us to remember and to experience this rest where your life is heading. And the rest of the Bible is a continual invitation. It repeats this invitation for us to enter into God's rest. There's places in the Old Testament, there's places in the New. We're just going to look at one. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... So this Sabbath rest, it still stands. There's still a promise of entering into his eternal Sabbath rest. So while this promise still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So there's an invitation, but not everybody's gonna make it. Verse two, for good news came to us. The good news of Jesus came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So what is this saying here? It's saying that you can hear the good news. You can hear the good news, the gospel, that God is inviting you into his rest, and you can fail to enter into that rest. You can hear that God is resting and has created this eternal rest, and he wants you to be a part of it, and you can fail to enter into that rest. You can be left out. And the people who were left out are those who were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest. And so the way for us to enter the rest, even before we start taking a day off, we need to believe in the gospel. We need to believe in the good news. I mean, Jesus, for us, Jesus came to be the savior of the world. And when we believe in Jesus, we orient our lives around his authority and we enter into the rest of the gospel. And we are invited to observe the new covenant Sabbath, which Hebrews goes on to describe in verses nine through 11. It says this, so then there, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so there is still a Sabbath for us, the people of God. And we strive to enter that rest by believing in Jesus. The gospel does give us rest, does it not? I mean, even if physically and in life we don't feel a whole lot of opportunity to rest, when we come to believe in Jesus, there is a sense to where the angst in our soul, the angst about eternity, the angst about our brokenness, the angst about things that we've done that we feel guilty about, that we feel ashamed of, we kind of have this sense of <sighs> with Jesus because he lived the perfect life that we have never, ever lived, not even for a day. And then he died for our sins so that we would be forgiven and accepted by God. And so Jesus gives us this rest in the gospel. 
And yes, we've done things that are horrible and awful, and yet Jesus says, I know, and I forgive you. We see these things that we're supposed to do and these ways that we're supposed to live, and we feel like we fall short every day, every week, in relationships, at work, and all these different ways, and, and yet Jesus says, look, I don't love you because you're good. I forgive you and love you, and that's what makes you good. And so the gospel gives us this rest, this rest that comes from Jesus because we don't have to atone for our sins because Jesus did that. We don't have to be good enough for God because Jesus did that. And so this is the rest that comes from the gospel And our weekly Sabbath rest is a chance for us to remember that we have this rest and then just to spend 24 hours acting like it might be true. I mean, this means that what you do in life matters. This means that your life isn't an endless cycle of days and weeks and months and years that goes on no matter what until you die that every week is another deposit that you are making with God. And every week, God invites us to start by being with him, to start by resting and remembering that we are blessed and accepted, and then entering into the week, into the rest of the week, filled with his grace, filled with his love, filled with his sense of purpose, so that the things that we might do would be offered to him and would matter. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. That your work matters. That what you do matters. Everything that you do matters. It matters to God and it matters in God's world. And so again, Genesis 1 says there's a beginning of time and Genesis 2 says that there's an end. There's an end, there's a goal that time is heading toward God's rest. And so the question for us then is how do we do this, right? How do we remember the Sabbath, right? That's the commandment. How do we remember the Sabbath? And I think, and we talked about this a little bit, I wanna get into a little more detail. There's really three components. Let's try to get practical here, right? There's three components of what you're supposed to do during this 24-hour period of time. You're supposed to pray, you're supposed to play, and you're supposed to relax, okay? Three requirements, so three boxes to check them off every 24 hours or every, every Sabbath period. Pray, play, and relax. I think it's also wise for you to think about the 24-hour period of time in three sections, okay? My encouragement to you would be to start Saturday night and then end Sunday night, right? So I think you should think about the Sabbath in terms of evening, morning, and afternoon, okay? And again, if, if Saturday, to sun, Saturday night to Sunday night doesn't work for you, then you just need to pick another day. For me, it's Thursday night to Friday night. That's what I do. Um, so you've got evening, morning, and afternoon. Pray, play, and relax. Now, in some ways, I wanna just give this to you and say, like, go think about this in light of what you've heard, in light of what the Bible's teaching about the purpose of time and and the purpose of rest and how this all is supposed to work, go figure this out. But I want to give you just a little bit of, I want to give you a little bit of a head start 
just give you some, some suggestions that might help you because for every one of you, this is going to be different. This is going to feel different. This is going to look different because different one of you pray differently, difference, difference of you relax differently, different, there are different ways that each of you play differently. And so, all right, so let me just give you like some, a, a quick suggestion. So think about the evening. So now I'm thinking about, again, Saturday night is how I'm thinking about this. So in terms of pray, I would suggest that in the evening, you just begin. Like have an official beginning. Okay, just put it in your calendar that 6 p.m. on Saturday night, you are going to enter the Sabbath, okay? And so just start your Sabbath officially. You can have an official starting prayer that sounds something like this. God, I wanna take this next 24 hours and enter into the gift of rest that you've given me. My life isn't a never-ending cycle of meaninglessness. My life is heading toward a deeper relationship with you and your rest, so I want to begin this evening, morning, and afternoon and ask you to meet me here. Help me to remember you and to enjoy the rest you've given me through the gospel. Amen. Right? Take you 30 seconds just to try to create a sanctity around the next 24 hours, an official beginning of this. And then enjoy the evening. Have fun. Do something that's enjoyable. It could be friends, it could be family, and then relax by not working. Just stop working. Put your work aside and let Jesus remind you that you're a human being, not a human doing. Did you like that? That's kind of cheesy. Um, all right, so that's the evening. Then, now we're talking about Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, what are you going to do? Well, I think the pray section, worship, right? Worship. Come to worship. Sunday services are actually designed to remind you that time is heading toward God and to his rest. Our Sunday worship services are designed so that you would experience that Jesus calls the weary and the heavy laden to come and to rest in the gospel. Right? If there's a way to make the morning fun, do things a little bit differently, then do that. Like when our kids were young, we did special breakfast foods. We had special videos that they could watch on Sunday before church. Um, just anything that would remind you that this is a day that's different. Um, and then for relaxing, you could try to sleep in and come to our second service. You know, I mean, literally, like sometimes some of my best Sabbath experiences have been sleeping in and waking up without being in a rush. You know, when we used to do evening services at, um, at Harbor Uptown, um, there were times when it was just so relaxing to not have to do anything until the end of the day, you know? And so you want to just cultivate that sense of, of relax. So sleeping in can be a great way to do that. Um, okay, and then in the afternoon, in the afternoon, in the pray section, and again, with the afternoon, this could come in, in any kind of, I, I guess I would say start with the play section. Just have fun with friends, with family, do something enjoyable, whatever that could be. And then relax, like give yourself permission to, to, to nap, to just to relax, to not have to be on. Um, decide, make a conscious decision that you are going to move about five miles an hour slower in your life in the afternoon, okay? And if you're driving somewhere, you just drive slower. Um, sometimes on my runs, on my Sabbath, I think this is a Sabbath. I'm not gonna work hard. I am going to take it easy and I'm not gonna care. You know, like I'm just gonna, I might even walk for a portion of my run. 
because I can't, because I'm resting in Jesus. And Jesus has given me the ability to not have to do anything. I don't have to perform at all in any way. I don't have to make any progress because he has saved me to the uttermost, right? So whatever it is that would make you um, experience that, again, just relax, be slow. Um, And then in terms of the pray aspect of your afternoon, I would encourage you to take some time to reflect, to reflect. And so this could look like, look back at your last week. Did you learn anything in the last week? I don't mean like write 12 pages or anything, but like did anything jump out at you that was significant enough that you think you might want to carry that with you moving forward, right? Did you learn anything? Is there anything that you need to make right from the last week? Something that happened, something needs to make right. Um, And then maybe look forward so I heard one person say reflect and then proflect, which was kind of interesting. So look forward at the week to come with God. Um, what might be different about the week to come if your life is heading toward God and toward his rest? What is important? What's not important? If you spent 15 to 30 minutes of your afternoon thinking about your life and building your life around your relationship with God, like, what would be different? You know, how would your week be different? Is there something that you want to aim for this coming week? Maybe there's something from the sermon that you want to try to put into practice, something from life group discussion that you haven't quite gotten to yet. You know, just block out 15 to 30 minutes and just think, pray, write. And then I would also say, as you end the afternoon, make the end of your Sabbath official. You know, you started it with a prayer, I think it would be good to end it with a prayer. You can say something like this, God, thank you for this day. It wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect. God, the kids that you gave me ruined my Sabbath, you know? Um, but I did. There were, there were moments of rest, God, that I felt. There were moments of sacredness and of fun. So help me now to enter this week reminded that you are the reason that I live that your mission is what brings lasting meaning and satisfaction. Help me to enter this week full of your grace and your perspective so that I can treat my work, my friends, and my family as though we are all heading toward you and your eternal rest. Amen. So God is inviting you. And whether you are a Sabbath newbie or you are someone who has really tried hard to make the Sabbath part of your routine, take a step forward today. Take a step forward and let this week be different because we're heading toward God. We're heading toward an eternity with him. How would that change the way that you're living? How would that raise the importance of some things and diminish the importance of others? find out this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift. We are a people and we are a church that is so often driven, that is so often busy. We live in a culture that even when we're supposed to rest, it turns our rest into endless cycles that are exhausting. And so we really need you to hammer this into our hearts and our minds and our practices.
Help us, God, to take a step forward into this today. We want to give our time to you. We want to honor you with the way that we spend our time. And so give us wisdom. Help us to take some direction, to think about this for ourselves so that we can experience the gospel in a new way, not just in what we think, but even in what we do. And I pray, God, that for those that are here and they haven't yet entered into your rest, help them. God, help them. Give them a taste. Like even right now, as they've heard your, your voice through your word, help them to step forward into this rest, to trust Jesus with their lives and with their time, to find the rest in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to receive.